This podcast is sponsored by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. GoMoto now has three new kiosks that allow customers to check in online and in-store, drop off and pick up keys, and interact in both English and Spanish. Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. That's G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. Welcome to Daily Drive for Friday, September 23rd, 2022. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, Toyota plans to close its plant in Russia, Ford shuffles its C-suite, and Faraday Futures plan to raise capital sparks death threats. Plus, a conversation about the steps dealership service departments need to take before repairing electric vehicles. There are risks to electric vehicles, but they're not nearly as great as the risks for traditional internal combustion engines. However, they are new risks to a dealer. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Toyota will close its plant in St. Petersburg, Russia, and might sell it. The move comes amid shortages of key components and materials following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The world's largest automaker suspended production at the factory in March following the invasion. It also stopped vehicle imports into Russia. Toyota says over the last six months, it's kept the factory ready to resume production if circumstances allowed, but now it sees no indication that it will be able to restart output. Ford is reorganizing its executive ranks as it adds new talent and gives a handful of leaders expanded roles. The shuffle comes in conjunction with the previously announced retirement of longtime product and purchasing chief Hao Tai Tang. CFO John Lawler will temporarily oversee a makeover of Ford's global supply chain operations as the company looks for a permanent chief. Current vice president of supply chain Jonathan Jennings will also take on additional responsibility for supplier technical assistance and quality. Doug Field, who was Chief Advanced Technology and Embedded Systems Officer, becomes Chief Advanced Product Development and Technology Officer. In addition to his current duties overseeing EVs and software, Field will now oversee design and vehicle hardware engineering. VP of EV Industrialization Lisa Drake will now also be responsible for manufacturing engineering. And Jim Bombick, formerly Vice President of Industrial Platform Operations and new model launch for Ford Blue, will now oversee all product development for Ford's gasoline vehicles. Qualcomm now projects that its automotive contracts will generate $30 billion in sales. That's up from about $19 billion only two months ago. CEO Cristiano Oman said during the company's first Automotive Investor Day that the fast-growing figure reflects Qualcomm's efforts to become a prominent automotive presence. At the core of Qualcomm's automotive business is its Snapdragon digital chassis, a set of computing platforms for use in connectivity, digital cockpits, vehicle-to-cloud services, and advanced driver assistance systems. Mercedes-Benz is the latest automaker that Qualcomm has signed up. And Faraday Future Intelligent Electric says its leaders have faced death threats in an increasingly contentious effort to disrupt the trouble EV startups plan to raise capital. Attempts to bring in new funds have been affected by a, quote, misinformation campaign of completely baseless allegations. The company claims in a statement that some directors plan to pursue bankruptcy for their personal gain. That has led to lawsuits, which the company says have escalated to threats of physical violence and even death threats. 
Faraday said it was referring the incidents to law enforcement agencies, including the FBI, as well as to the Securities and Exchange Commission. The automaker didn't specify who it believes is responsible. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, with all this movement at Ford, what is the method to the madness? It's hard to, hard to see a lot of method going on here. <laughs> How Tai Tang had two huge roles, and I believe they were too much for any one person to manage. And you can see it now. They're really struggling to fill his role directly and having to spread the work out over you know, a good handful of senior executives. You know, Running something like purchasing for a company like Ford Motor Company is a full-time job and then some. The people who do that, they work 60, 80, sometimes 100 hours a week. And to try to also run product development at the same time, pretty much impossible. And, uh, and here they are trying to plug the holes. Well, I hope it all works out for their sake. Uh, coming up, EVs come with new challenges and risk for dealership service departments. We'll hear from a fixed ops expert next on Daily Drive. Picture your service drive on a busy morning. There's a line of customers waiting to drop off their keys and check in at the counter. Every advisor is busy with simple tasks. Two are typing customer concerns into the computer to get a repair order created. Two are trying to find an appointment the customer swears they created online. And another is looking for a customer's keys who didn't come in to pick up their vehicle the night before. It's a chaotic and unproductive scene. And you know you're probably losing money by not offering standard upsells with every write-up and frustrating customers with long wait times. Now imagine that same morning, but with customers checking in themselves in about two minutes. Your advisors are still busy, but they are busy selling. There are no more lines, no more wasted time, and no more frustration. GoMoto kiosks free up your advisors to focus on high-impact, customer-facing, profit-oriented work that improves and speeds up the process. And with three new kiosks, online check-in, and Spanish language support, you can now serve more customers in more ways with a process that fits their needs. Visit gomoto.com. That's G-O-M-O-T-O.com to explore all the ways kiosks can increase profit, efficiency, and overall operations in your service drive. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. One of the appeals of EVs is the reduced need for maintenance and repairs. But still, as more EVs hit the road, more of them will eventually visit service departments for battery checks, new tires, and other routine maintenance. Service departments should be taking precautionary steps now to ensure the safety of everyone who comes in contact with the EVs. Automotive News Senior Editor Dan Shine spoke with Micah O'Shaughnessy, project manager for consulting and training firm KPA. He outlines what measures service departments should be taking to keep dealership employees safe. Here's their conversation. Micah, thanks for joining me on the Fixed Ops Friday edition of Daily Drive. Certainly. Thank you very much for having me, Dan. So more and more EVs are hitting the road, more are in production, which means more EVs will soon be visiting service departments. So when preparing like your service department, if I'm a service manager, service director, and I'm getting ready for, you know, kind of more of an onslaught of EVs to start coming into my service base, what are some of the first steps I need to be thinking about to be ready for these kind of vehicles? Well, before we jump into that, I'll say that the news right now is flooded with risks of electric vehicles. And they're not wrong. There are risks to electric vehicles, but they're not nearly as great as the risks for 
traditional internal combustion engines. However, they are new risks to a dealer and to a service manager and to the service technicians. These situations in which we have fires or electrical shock have changed. So if you're going to prepare your service department for electric vehicles, uh, you want to make sure you have a designated area within the shop for EV. A lot of OEMs will provide you directions on how to set up a designated area, but they're general and broad. You want to make sure when you're looking at your specific dealership, you're making an educated decision about how to handle the inherent risks of electric vehicles, fires, shock, the interface between technicians who know how to work on EVs and technicians who don't know how to work on EVs. So that first step is going to be designating a specific electric vehicle maintenance area within your shop. And is this traditionally larger than a normal uh, work area would be for for an ICE vehicle? And are, are there any kind of boundaries or cones or caution tape that uh, you need to put up for this? Absolutely. Uh, something KPA is recommending as well as uh, OEM direction is generally to provide a barrier between EV work areas and the rest of your shop. And the reason is, is people who should be in that area should be the certified technicians who are aware of the electrical hazards and how to handle the electrical hazards and what to touch and what not to touch and what chemicals to use in certain situations. In general, you're looking at providing a 10 foot buffer between that EV work area and other operations. Uh, that changes per OEM and voltage of the batteries and the situations with your lift alignments within your shop. But you want to make sure that that area is secluded from the rest of the operations. And you mentioned something that kind of made me wonder. I'm talking about you know people who are trained, certified to to work on AV, EVs. As these become more commonplace in the service departments, who should be getting training on you know, kind of the safety, not maybe necessarily how to repair them, but just how to move around safely? I mean, is it anybody from the cashier to the porter or valet to all the way up to the techs? KPA would recommend that anyone who's entering a shop where EV batteries or vehicles are being worked on, or even the parts department where these EVs are stored, should have at least a general awareness training. That way they understand how to recognize an EV battery and potential issues with an EV battery in the area in which they're working. That might be everyone. It might be salesmen. It might be the general manager. It might even be, you know, your office staff. Uh, because if you're storing batteries in the parking lot and your office staff is walking through them, or if you have staff that walks through the service department where maintenance is occurring, you want to make sure everyone is aware of what they're looking at and then the potential hazards and what to do and what not to do if they're exposed to electric vehicle hazards in any way. That would be a base level training that almost everybody in the dealership should get so that they know what they're looking at. And then those employees that are physically working on the vehicles are going to go through a certification program with their OEM to make sure that they know what they're, they're doing on specific vehicles. So you mentioned uh, storing batteries. So with a traditional ICE vehicle, brake pads, air filters, that, those are, are pretty harmless. But I would imagine potentially there could be issues with storing EV batteries. How should uh, service departments handle the storage of these batteries? 
if you walk into any shop today, you may find 12 volt batteries sitting around the shop. Um, they're a lot smaller. They're not nearly as dangerous as the EV batteries. EV batteries can reach voltages of close to a thousand volts at this point in time. And we're expecting that to go up as you know, they get installed into larger and larger vehicles. We want to be especially careful with the storage of EV batteries. They like repairing electric vehicles. We want to make sure that EV batteries are secluded from operations and that they're always protected from any type of impact or exposure to chemicals or heat or sunlight. When they're installed in a vehicle, there's a lot of components of the vehicle that protect the battery from potential hazards like an operating battery management system, the onboard computer of a vehicle. Once you pull the battery out and store it in the shop, it can be exposed to things like dust getting in the connectors, which could start a fire, or someone welding within the facility. And we want to ensure that these batteries aren't exposed to any of those hazards where we could potentially have a catastrophic failure of the battery. So you want to relocate them and potentially isolate them. Again, that 10 foot limit is a good idea. A lot of facilities we see now are storing these batteries outside of the building, which is okay, but we want to make sure that if they're outside, they're protected from weather, like rain, direct sunlight, high wind events where they could potentially be knocked over or something can be locked into them. And then you also want to make sure that they're protected from vehicle impact. If you're going to store it in the parking lot, the last thing you want is someone driving a car into a stack of batteries, even in their packaged state. Yeah, that would uh, not be good. And finally, you talk about potential hazards. I mean, I know there are uh, fires and you know things that could happen. Is, should a service department kind of reach out to their first responders, uh, EMS, fire department, beforehand to kind of get at least a, a, like some kind of plan in place for if there is some an incident at the dealership? Absolutely. Your local fire department, your first responders should be aware that you're operating on EV batteries at the facility. Most dealerships at this point in time, they're only going to be performing basic maintenance on the vehicles themselves. And there's not going to be a ton of interface with the battery itself. However, if something does go wrong in the vehicle or a removed battery or even a damaged battery, this uh, would apply to a dealership as well as a collision center. Talk to your local fire department. Your fire marshal may have recommendations for you on where to put your designated EV maintenance area or where they want you storing the batteries in the event of a failure such as thermal runaway. Um, and they're the best resource to listen to because they understand what kind of resources they have at their disposal in order to help you put out a fire. They're first trying to protect all of your employees and all of their own employees, and then they're trying to protect your property. So they're making educated decisions about proper vehicle storage. They'll also be able to say, you know, you've got your designated area here, but let's relocate it to this location. Because if something does go wrong with the vehicle, be able to get a truck to it or potentially a tow rope to move a vehicle that's on fire or a forklift to maneuver to a vehicle that's on fire in order to relocate that vehicle and allow it to 
potentially burn safely where it's not going to be damaging your building and or employees of either department. Micah, a lot of good information here. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for joining us. Certainly. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News Coordinating Producer Jake Neer for his help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on fixed ops, manufacturing, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back on Monday for a conversation with Daniel Hegstrom, CEO of Cabin Air, which was a finalist for an Automotive News Pace Award this year for its advanced filtration system. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.